Please rise for the reading of God's Word from Daniel chapter 6. Be reading verses 4 through 10. Hear now God's Word. So the governors and satraps sought to find some charge against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could not, they could find no charge or fault because he was faithful, nor was there any error or fault found in him. Then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. So these governors and satraps thronged before the king and said thus to him, King Darius, live forever. All the governors of the kingdom, the administrators and satraps, the counselors and advisors have consulted together to establish a royal statute and to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. Therefore, King Darius signed the written decree. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, With his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. And thus far the reading of God's word and all God's people said. Amen. You may be seated. Today's sermon has both a political and a personal message. It is about where we take our stand, regardless of where we are. It is about the place of principle and compromise. Every one of us is faced with these kinds of decisions almost on a daily basis. In our families, in our child-rearing, in our schools, our jobs, our businesses, our friendships, and in politics. These are questions of character and faith. Who are we? And what or who are we trusting in? Temptation is really often about trying to take a shortcut. A means of getting what we want without having to pay the full price. This is really true of all sin because all sin is a form of theft, taking what is not ours. We are tempted to compromise our principles in order to get ahead in some way or to gratify ourselves or to feel better for the moment or perhaps just to gain the approval of other people. But as Christians, God has called us to something much more valuable and much more costly. There are no real shortcuts to genuinely satisfying marriages and families. There are no genuine shortcuts to truly success, a true success in our work, in our businesses, or in our institutions. Even when we just go along to get along, then we have fallen short of what a soldier of Jesus Christ is called to do and to be. He did not call us to fade into the background. He did not call us to fly beneath the radar, to go unnoticed. 
These kinds of compromises take place too frequently in Christian churches and in Christian families, in Christian schools, and in institutions, and they certainly take place in the political realm as well. I especially address you men today, young and old, when we are wishy-washy as husbands and fathers and leaders, when we abdicate, when we are indifferent, when we shrug our shoulders and say, whatever, then we, then we are in trouble. When we don't take firm and principled stands in our homes and in public, when we don't act like men in the moment or men of the future, when we serve ourselves rather than the kingdom of God, then we are done for. We have squandered our future. We have wasted our inheritance. And this is how messes become messes. It's a common false assumption after I'm facing a mess of some sort that I did everything I was supposed to do, but this mess just happened. And I suspect that uh, we are more often simply blind and self-deceived, unwilling to really look and see why this mess is a mess. So some questions. Where is the passion for the Savior? We're going to see this in the life of Daniel here. Where is our passion for his church? Church is not something we just go to on Sunday. We show up for an hour and a half and then we're out of here. We are the church. We are the church all the time. All of us are the church. It's not just me over here being the church. I'm always connected to you. You're always connected to me. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We are the people of God. We are citizens in his kingdom and he is the king. You are commanding your house, are you commanding your household with unreserved zeal for the Lord? Passive men and women accomplish nothing. Principled, dedicated men and women move the world. May the Lord not say to us, as he said to Ezekiel in Ezekiel 22:30, so I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, the country, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. All politics is local, and so it starts with you and starts with me. We don't like what's going on in the country. What's going on at your house? That's where it starts. Remember with Abraham, God said, Abraham, I want you to go home and command your household to keep the way of the Lord, to do justice and righteousness so that I can bring a blessing to the nations, to the world. If we want principled leaders, then we have to be principled men. And we will never have principled national leaders if we don't first have it in ourselves and in our homes. And so today, I want to challenge you to be a Daniel. There's an old children's hymn that many of you were taught and might remember titled Dare to Be a Daniel by Philip Bliss. I want to read the lyrics to that. They're rather simple. But then again, this is a rather simple message, but a profound one. So the lyrics say, standing by a purpose true, heeding God's command, honor them 
the faithful, honor them, the faithful few, all hail to Daniel's band. Dare to be a Daniel, dare to stand alone, dare to have a purpose firm, dare to make it known. Mighty men are lost, daring not to stand, who for God had been a host by joining Daniel's band. Many giants, great and tall, stalking through the land, headlong to the earth would fall if met by Daniel's band. Hold the gospel banner high, on to victory grand, Satan and his host defy and shout for Daniel's band. James Madison was one of the most active speakers at the Continental Convention in 1787. Many wise provisions in the final document owe their origin to his foresight and his learning, deeply versed in theories of government and profoundly affected by his Christian faith. He realized that he was prone to become overzealous during debates. And so, along with Alexander Hamilton and John Jay, Madison wrote, uh, for example, the brilliant Federalist Papers, and was the trusted advisor and confidant of both George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. So later he would become uh, the fourth president of our young nation during some very particularly difficult days. But it was at the uh, the convention that his gifts were the most evident. Knowing that he was prone to get carried away when addressing the convention, he asked his fellow Virginian to sit by his side and to tug on his coattails if he seemed like he was getting overly excited. After a particularly impassioned speech, he sat down almost exhausted and complained to his friend that he had not pulled on his coat. His friend said, I would just as soon have laid a finger on the lightning. Similar stories are told of many of our founding fathers. When Patrick Henry spoke, hearers were utterly mesmerized. When Samuel Adams addressed his fellow patriots, it was said that he spoke with the voice of the divine. And when Peyton Randolph rose, an admiring silence always seemed to envelop the hall. There's a power in unswerving conviction that inevitably seizes the attention of both men and nations. There is an almost indescribable appeal that attaches itself to the uncompromising vision and principled passion. I remember feeling this when Dr. White spoke at the Heartbeat Banquet a few years ago. This fact is illustrated throughout the scriptures, but perhaps nowhere more vividly than in the story of Daniel. Now, I I sent out an email. I hope that you read the first six chapters of Daniel, if you had that opportunity, just to provide some context for this small section, uh, because I'm not going to have time to allude to all the text and so forth, but you've got the general story that Daniel is serving here uh, with Nebuchadnezzar, and he's... He's risen very quickly into a position of prominence because of his competence, his faithfulness, his diligence. He's a young man along with his his three companions. It is all too often uh, regarding the issue of politics 
um, that politics becomes some kind of a game. And you should recognize politics is everywhere. It's at your house. Uh, it's it's uh, in the church. It's in the world. Politics isn't a bad thing by itself. Politics is just basically figuring out how to get, how to get the things that you want to get. Now, if the things you're wanting to get are good, then politics is good. And so you think about it at home. A little girl knows there's a good time and a bad time to ask dad for a dollar. Um, that's politics. That's wisdom. That's the ability to think about, okay, is, is now the moment? Or maybe I should wait till later. Um, but in, we think, tend to think of politics as a dirty game of compromise and accommodation. It is a cutthroat game of give and take, do unto others before they do it unto me. It's, I heard it you know, recently described, and I've heard it before this way, as a blood sport. But what's the real basis of long-term influence, power, and authority? That's the question we want to ask. If we want to have long-term power and authority, how do we do that? Do we do it with a political game, or do we do it the way Daniel did, which was by faithfulness or obedience to God, regardless of the consequences? Daniel's answer was clear. Obedience to God is the basis of real and lasting influence. That was his starting point, and that was his ending point. He resolved from the beginning, I'm going to be faithful to God whether I rise or fall, no matter what. That should be your resolve as well. I'm going to have friends. I'm going to work. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to have a family, but this is resolved. I am going to serve the Lord no matter what. That's my starting point. That's my ending point. And so that's why Daniel refused to play the political game. He was a man of principle. He was a man of conviction. He was a wise man who simply would not sacrifice his integrity for the pragmatism of short-term gain. Your most valuable asset is your integrity before God and men. No shortcuts to the top. All of Daniel's decisions were rooted in this, in this faithfulness to God. He had been called to the ministry of civic involvement by Almighty God, and so he owed his first allegiance to Almighty God. Daniel 6, 10 through 11. Now, when Daniel knew that, uh, that the writing was signed, this is after uh, Darius signs this decree that no one can worship any other god, what's the first thing he did? How am I going to hide? How am I going to get out of this? How am I going to compromise? How can I not be in trouble? He went home. And in his upper room, with the windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks to his God as was his custom since early days. He didn't change a thing. He wouldn't. He couldn't compromise that commitment. God's will, God's purpose, God's agenda for men and nations are not negotiable and they were not negotiable for him and so I ask you, do you know what he's called you to do as a husband, as a mother, a wife, father, as children, as workers, as business owners, as employees, wherever you are? Now, this doesn't mean that Daniel was inflexible and narrow-minded. 
He was a lot like Joseph. Many parallels. He was actually quite creative. He was capable of discernment, we're told. In Daniel uh, chapter 1, he learned, uh, he was learned, he was agreeable, he was dedicated, he was teachable, he was selfless, he was discreet. His extraordinary wisdom and insights won him the audience of kings. In other words, Daniel was competent. And his extraordinary godliness and devotion won him a broad audience. He was highly esteemed by men. In Daniel, we read that in Daniel 4. He was esteemed by God, Daniel chapter 9. And by angels, we read in Daniel chapter 9. He was unsw- his unswerving commitment and his righteous determination were evident. You know what that means? Everybody could see it. He was forthright in his condemnation of sin in Daniel chapter 4, bold in his pronouncement of truth in Daniel chapter 5, and was single-minded in his adherence to the Word of God, which we read about today in Daniel 6. And I want you to remember, he was a young man, perhaps a teenager when all these stories begin. Like Josiah before him, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in, walked in all the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. He dutifully obeyed the commands of Scripture to be steadfast and unwavering. I thought about Joshua 23, 6 and 8. Therefore be courageous to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left, but you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. That describes Daniel. Or in 1 Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Daniel wasn't trying to figure out what's going to happen if I do this, this, and this. How can I compromise? How can I get around this rule or the the edges? I'm going to be faithful to God, period. I'll leave the outcome to him. A stand like that can be costly, and it nearly cost Daniel everything. Think of it. He already was in a position of power. He had influence. He had prominence. But he risked all of it for the sake of his conscience before God. And I ask you, are you risking anything ever? Well, if I say this, if I speak up, they might not like me anymore. You're right, they might not. But God will be pleased. And if he's pleased, you're going to prosper. A simple compromise would have preserved his power. He could have hung on to his influence and his prominence, but he refused to compromise. He could have tried to work within the system. He could have tried to wait out the edict against prayer. He wouldn't have had to deny his faith. He could have closed those windows so nobody would see him praying. But he would have had to deny his faith. He just really just needed to keep quiet for a while. I just won't say anything. I won't speak up. Why waste everything that he had gained over such a small matter? Why not just play along, attempting to do good when the opportunity presented itself, but instead Daniel refused to compromise, risking prison and even death. Those Medes and Persians were not playing around. 
So he refused for three reasons. And these should be tightly nailed down in your own thinking and commitment. First, Daniel understood who really governs men and nations. He didn't need to tremble before mere human edicts. God and God alone directs the ebb and flow of history. Proverbs 21.1, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. Psalm 135, 5 and 6, For I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and in earth, in the seas and all the deep places. That pretty much covers it, right? Daniel knew that the security of power, influence, and prominence depends solely upon his loyalty and his obedience to God. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments. Why? That you may live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. Daniel knew that he could not play dirty little political games, even if it meant that he thought he might get ahead in his job because compromise would have been self-defeating. Second, Daniel understood the nature of his opposition. He knew that his enemies wouldn't be satisfied with anything less than the assassination of his faith and the obliteration of his privilege. Compromise really would have been fruitless. It wouldn't have accomplished anything more than the dilution dilution of his message. As Paul will write to Timothy, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so when you give in, you may as well just give up. God, we're told in Scripture, as he's looking for a king in Israel, says he seeks a man after his own heart. There's no way around it. No amount of compromise can divert it. And when you take your stand, persecution is inevitable. Somebody's not going to like it. Somebody's going to pick on you. Jesus explained this fact to his disciples this way in John 15. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they keep my word, they will keep yours also. What was the problem that Daniel had? Daniel uh, had embarrassed the, uh, the, the prophets and the fortune tellers. They couldn't interpret the dreams. They, couldn't, they were afraid to. They were afraid of the king. Thus, no matter what concessions or accommodations Daniel would have made, his enemies would have continued their assaults against him. The problem was him. Compromise would have done little more than buy some time. And remember, this is true at your house, and it's true in your business as well. Third, Daniel understood that God causes all things to work. I guess he read Romans 8.28, but he knew this, even though that verse hadn't been written yet, that God 
causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. He clearly had read Genesis. He knew what happened in the life of Joseph. By refusing to compromise, he was risking prison or even death. But he knew that prison and death would become opportunities under the sovereign direction of Almighty God. Like Daniel, Joseph risked everything by refusing to compromise his obedience to God. That was true at Potiphar's house when Potiphar's wife came on to him and he stood his ground and, and, and was faithful to the Lord. And it cost him. It was true when he was forgotten in prison. But everywhere Joseph was, and the same is true we see with Daniel, everywhere those guys were, whether they were way up here or way down here, the Lord was with them. So as a result, Joseph was thrown into prison, but God used that prison as the first stage of victory. Before long, Joseph was raised up out of the depths to rule over the whole land. He became a father to Pharaoh. Similarly, David risked everything by refusing to compromise his obedience to God in 1 Samuel 18. And as a result, he was cast into exile. But God used exile as the first stage of victory. And before long, David was raised up out of the depths to rule over the whole land. The early Christians also risked everything by refusing to compromise their obedience to God. As a result, they were thrown into prison. Acts chapter 5, for example. But God used prison as the fir- their first stage of victory. And before long, they were raised up out of the depths to rule over the whole land. The gospel spread everywhere. This pattern runs throughout all the Bible. I'll just mention a few. It underlies the stories of Esther, of Job, of Jeremiah, Elijah, Hosea, Micah, and the Apostle Paul. Like Daniel, each of these heroes of the faith witnessed the resurrecting power of Almighty God. Each of them saw the most difficult and oppressive circumstances transformed into glorious victory. Each of them went from death to life, from bondage to liberty, from prison to promise. Each of them mirrored and illuminated the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Jesus, of course, refused to compromise. As a result, he was thrown into the prison of the grave. But God used that prison as the first stage of his glorious triumph. On the third day, Jesus rose out of the depths to rule and reign over the whole land. This is the essence of the gospel. So Daniel, uncompromising, Daniel's uncompromising stand was rooted in his understanding of God's absolute sovereignty and man's resolute opposition. But it was also rooted in the privilege of prison and the promise of resurrection. He could remain steadfast 
because he recognized this pattern in his own experience and could therefore walk by faith and not by sight. I'm not, I can't see how this is going to work out, but I'm trusting God. The uncompromising stance of believers is often mistaken by some for prideful self-assurance because he understood who really governs men and nations and because he understood the nature of his opposition and because he understood that God would transform prison into promise, Daniel refused to compromise God's standards. His enemies took this to be mere hard-headed stubbornness. They presumed that Daniel was just another in a long line of self-confident, egotistical, and dogmatic young men Joseph's enemies thought the same thing of him. They assumed that he was some kind of self-promoting braggart. But virtually all of God's heroes through time have been accused of having a self-indulgent or self-inflating or assuming uh, a self-assuming attitude. That was true of Moses and Job and David and even Jesus. Righteousness is often thus labeled as a kind of unyielding intolerance. Oh, come on. Just do what everybody else is doing. What, why, are you sta- why are you standing over there by yourself? Why are you taking such a hard stand? Just come on over and bend a little. Well, there's, again, we pointed out with Daniel, it's true, uh, Paul and others be all things to all men. There's a time and a place to bend, but there's also a time and a place to not bend. Nothing could be further from the truth. Uncompromising believers throughout the ages who have conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of the fire, escaped the edge of the sword, and from weakness were made strong, did so by faith. Faithfulness, believing what God said. We're doing it his way, not my way. In other words, they trusted God rather than themselves. Far from having confidence or certainty in their own flesh, their own idea, their own understanding, their own abilities, their own strength, their own ingenuity, they put their full reliance on God. They obtained victory even amidst difficulty, not because they were domineeringly domineeringly proud, but because they were actually submissively humble. The Bible is crystal clear. Psalm 37, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Remember these men are bringing this wicked scheme against Daniel. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Imagine that situation Daniel's in as he's opening his windows to bow down and pray. Cease, to, cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look diligently for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Kind of the opposite of worry, isn't it? 
Proverbs 15, 13. The fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor is humility. Proverbs 18, 12. Before destruction, the heart of a man is haughty, and before honor is humility. Humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor in life. Proverbs 22. And Matthew 20. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them, yet it shall not be so among you. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Thus, the reason Daniel was able to square off against the forces of evil without compromise involved not only what he knew, but what he was or who he was. And he was humble. Does that describe you? He was steadfast. He wasn't close. It wasn't closed-minded uh, obstinacy. Instead, his understanding of absolute sovereignty and persistent pushback was rooted in true humility, trusting God. The fact is that Daniel couldn't have done what he did. Uh, uh, he what? Excuse me. The fact is Daniel couldn't have done what he was able to do if he wasn't humble. No matter how well he understood the situation and circumstances that were swirling around him. Living by faith, walking in steadfastness, partaking of resurrection power is completely and entirely dependent upon righteous humility. Trusting God. He was part of a long line of faithful men of integrity who in their wisdom could see beyond the moment. There's something bigger going on here than today. For example, the Apostle Paul made this statement in Philippians 3, But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. Believers can stand firm on the truth uh, despite opposition or even persecution. We cannot hope to win the battle for the hearts of men and the souls of nations if we compromise biblical essentials. But then neither can we hope to win that battle if we carry airs of superiority. So, let me wrap this up. Does the world know without a question or a doubt where you stand? Do you know where you stand? How about the people who work for you? How about the people you work for? How about your fellow workers? How about your friends? How about your neighbors? How about your family? And that doesn't mean you have to, certainly not talking about being rude or pushy or obnoxious. That would be the opposite of humility, right? We are in a war, but most don't even realize they're in a battle. I'm afraid we're too often losing the war 
and we don't even know it because nothing upsets us anymore. Whatever. 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 We've compromised with the world for so long it's hard to tell the difference between us and them. Are you zealously keeping the way of the Lord and are you commanding your household to do the same? And when I use the word commanding, that's not an abusive, uh, arrogant, authoritarian slamming of the fist. That's a leading, uh, investing in, loving, and requiring that God's standards are upheld at your house in the way we talk, in the way we dress, in the way we treat each other, in the way we serve, in the way we repent, in the way we forgive, in the way we help, in the way we encourage, in the way we deal with conflict, in every single way, that's where the changing of the world starts, is with you and at your house and in your relationships. You are the uncompromising, faithful Daniel. Will you dare to be a Daniel? Will you stand in the gap? Will you be passionate? If, you, if I ask you about your commitment to Christ, I suspect to say, how many believe in Jesus? Every, every hand probably go up. How many want to go to heaven? Every hand goes up. How many want a Savior? Every hand goes up. Now let's discuss the quality of your commitment to him. We know the quality of his commitment to you. He went to the cross for you. He even considered going to the cross joy because of you. Can we describe your commitment to Jesus Christ as passionate and zealous? For him and for his church and his kingdom. Do you dare to be a Daniel? Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for preserving the stories of men like Joseph, Moses, David, Daniel, and others who stood in the gap and did not compromise. In them we see Jesus who was zealous for the kingdom and never budged. We are grateful for all those who have suffered loss in order to gain who didn't cave in under the pressure of the world, and who were exalted in due time. Help us to follow these examples and to be men and women of deep principle and zealous love for you and your church, to be courageous in our homes and in the other places where you've called us. Grant us leaders that follow this pattern of faithfulness, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our great and awesome God who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him and with those who keep his commandments. Indeed, you have remembered your covenant and we bow with grateful hearts. Send us forth, O Lord, with your blessing and with your strength and help us to remember your covenant as well, that we might dwell forever in the house of the Lord. So we have looked for you you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory because your loving kindness is better than life. Our lips shall praise you. Thus we will bless you while we live. We will lift up our hands in your name. Our souls shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and our mouths shall praise you with joyful lips. Bless now this Lord's Day for your glory, for our good. 
our resting and our feasting. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father who has loved us and given us an everlasting consolation and good hope by grace comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. Amen. Amen.